This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I started Self Work almost five years ago now in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you're even in therapy. To those of you who've just been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers. And to those of you who even might say, oh, I'd never go to a therapist but you're curious enough or unhappy enough to listen in. I so appreciate you being here. Telling the truth can be hard, and most of us certainly tell what, for some reason, are called white lies, the most infamous being, oh no, you look great in that. (laughs) But what gets in the way of being totally honest in therapy? Shouldn't you be able to tell all in a setting where the therapist's job is to understand and support? Mm, Maybe not. But I found some really interesting takes on the why of that and how actually lying can be used as an effective therapeutic tool. I'll offer a few facts about lying. We'll touch on some recent research. But I also want to talk about how the reasons you lie in perhaps therapy are also the reasons you lie in any other relationship. It's serving some function. And that's what we're going to talk about it and talk about what you can do about it. The listener email for today is from someone who read my blog post on enmeshment, which, just by the way, is the most popular post I have, with the 10 traits of perfectly hidden depression a close second, and he's looking for some answers. Those of you who might have had cruel or neglectful parents might not at all understand this man's plight. He was loved too much, but whether or not the boundaries of parenting were non-existent because you got manipulated through abuse or whether they were non-existent because you weren't allowed or supported in building a life away from a parent, the damage can exist either way. Yes, it looks different, and in many ways that's what makes the latter invisible, because how can you complain about being adored? I'll offer my answer. So in this episode, sponsored by Athletic Greens, let's take a turn looking at lying and what its function may be, even in therapy, and certainly in your relationships. When you think of therapy being basically a relationship, even if a very unique one, then not always telling the complete truth becomes easier to understand. How many times have you blurted something out in a more vulnerable or emotional time to a friend or partner, someone you were dating, and then wished you hadn't? Or the opposite, how many times have you allowed someone to think something about you that might have not quite been the truth, at least not completely true, but it put you in a good light? Like, perhaps you said you volunteered at your local food bank, when in reality you did volunteer one time a year ago when the pandemic first hit, but the person you're dating starts saying, oh, John is so wonderful, he volunteers at the food bank. Do you try and correct, or do you smile and think, I'll correct them when we're safe and in private, and then you never do? Kind of stuff like that. We're not talking today about pathological or compulsive lying. Pathological lying is lying with the intent to get your way, and it isn't accompanied by much self-awareness. There's little respect for others. There's no empathy. Actually, you can believe your own lies if you're a pathological liar. You can look someone straight in the eye and lie. 
and it may have begun as a defensive adaptation when young. But you're seen as cunning, and it's a trait found in antisocial and narcissistic personality disorder. That's pathological lying. Compulsive lying, on the other hand, is when someone finds lying much more comfortable than telling the truth. You avoid direct eye contact and you look nervous. You have the need or the impulse to lie, but you don't really have malintent. Maybe your story doesn't add up and it's actually fairly easy for other people to detect that you're lying. And it may or may not have an accompanying mental illness, but it can be found sometimes with ADHD, bipolar, or borderline personality disorder. But again, with compulsive lying, you just find yourself lying rather than sticking with the truth. Now, these types of lies can be serious problems. You can find out your spouse has a whole different family living elsewhere or that they have a serious gambling addiction and have lost thousands of dollars. And so you can see those are very, very severe problems. Then there are also lies of commission, meaning you tell something you know is a lie, or omission, when you don't tell something that would be important to tell, often justifying that not telling by saying something like, it would hurt her too much to know, or it's just not the time. So you can lie by commission or omission. And you know, people lie about odd things, or at least it may seem odd on the surface. An example that comes to mind is I saw a young guy and his wife And this was a lie of commission. He made up a complete story that he'd been on a winning traveling baseball team as a child. And he'd only played actually a little on a regular team. It was so easy to find out. And he actually still argued that he'd done just exactly what he said and explained that no one remembered correctly but him. Another example, and this is a lie by omission, was a woman I worked with once that would order vast amounts of things that would come to her home during the day when her husband was gone. And then the very day they arrived, she'd mail them back. Sometimes she wouldn't even open them. It took hours out of her day to do this. When her husband asked what she'd done all day, she'd laugh and say, ah, just normal stuff. It was normal for her. And by the way, secrets were abundant in this relationship on both sides. But she was hiding a severe shopping addiction. Mostly today, I want to focus on what functions lying serves, because it seemed to me that although these articles that I found were talking about lying in therapy, I think these reasons also pertain to why you lie in any relationship. Let's see what you think. So for our purposes, a lie is a falsehood someone tells with the intent to manipulate, to hurt, to avoid conflict or something, but they lie with intent. I found a great deal of difference in the research on the prevalence of lying, basically how often do people do it. But basically, people who think they lie well do the most lying. That's not really surprising. And another study found that many people don't lie at all, so most lies are done by prolific liars. Here's the research, and I'm quoting. Higher self-reported ratings of deception ability were positively correlated with self-reports of telling more lies per day telling inconsequential lies, lying to colleagues and friends, and communicating lies via face-to-face interactions. We also observed that self-reported good liars highly relied on verbal strategies of deception, and they most commonly reported that they tried to, one, embed their lies into truthful information, two, keep the statement clear and simple, and three, provide a plausible account. So basically, if you're a really good liar and you get away with it, you tend to lie more. And then there are a lot of people who don't lie. I myself have never been a very good liar. 
I've tried at times when I was most ashamed of myself, but it didn't really work out very well and caused more problems than it solved. I should point out here that lying to yourself is very common, whether you call it denial or perhaps you may not even be conscious of not telling the truth, whether it's self-deception, not wanting to admit what you know is true. Both denial and self-deception are common phenomena and often a goal of treatment for these folks is to help them understand what function or service their denial or self-deception serves. Is it to avoid conflict, to see things as more positive than they are, to avoid painful feelings? Is it based on fear of losing control? The reasons can be many, but before we get to the reasons people lie, let's hear from Athletic Greens. I'm not lying when I say I drink it every day and actually miss it when I don't because I feel as if I'm starting off my day with really great self-care. It's not that I can automatically tell something physically like I don't have enough vitamins in my body. I'm not that tuned in, but I really miss the act of doing something special for myself. So please listen in to a really great offer, all because you're a listener of self-work. Athletic Greens came on board SelfWork now a few months ago with an offer for SelfWork listeners to try their product. And because of being a SelfWork listener, you'd receive bonus products as a gift with a subscription. I don't really know how many of you have tried it, but quite a few I can tell. And I'd love to hear from you about how you're feeling. Please email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com because I'd love to share your experience here on SelfWork. So some of you are saying, what is Athletic Greens? It's a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood power is your nutritional essential. It's by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower yourself toward better habits. And it's a lot more pleasant than eating celery, I promise you. I've never liked powdered things, but this one isn't too sweet, but also not too grainy. And I look forward to it in the morning. You're actually just getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis And you don't have to take multiple supplements, just one thing. I take a scoop a day and know that I'm getting 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, and more. In fact, I just had my annual OBGYN appointment, and his last words to me were, make sure you're getting enough D3, and the supplement you receive as the self-work bonus with a subscription contains both D3 and K2. So I smiled and said, oh, I got that. I hope you'll try it. Both my husband and I love it and have kept it up now for several months because it's making a difference. So here's the link, athleticgreens.com slash self-work. That's, of course, HTTPS colon slash slash athleticgreens.com slash self-work. And I'll have that link for you in the show notes. I read two really wonderful articles on the topic of why people lie in therapy, and as usual, I'll add in my two bits. The articles, one in Time Magazine written by Candice Jalili, and the other in Psychology Today by Dr. Robin Kozlovitz. They both say that basically embarrassment is the reason why many people lie. Dr. Kozlovitz calls it trying on a success identity. That's kind of a fancy way of saying someone wants you to think well of them and see them more positively. The study in Time said 61% of respondents said they lied to their therapist because of embarrassment. 
Maybe you don't feel okay admitting that you had too much to drink at a party, and that was a huge part of the reason you can't remember how you acted. Or in an even more serious case, whether sex was consensual or not. Or maybe you got in an argument with your spouse, and you threatened divorce or used physical violence, but you don't want the therapist to see you as capable of that. So you leave that out. Obviously, you have to build trust in your therapist to feel safe, but this balance can be tough. Just like in any relationship, that thing you did that you fear talking about is usually helpful for you to talk about, but not until you trust the lister. The second reason for lying is to control things, not necessarily in a manipulative way, but maybe you're not ready to open up about something, and you're not quite sure what someone's reaction might be to you saying, I'm not ready to go there, or I'm not ready to talk about it. I always tell my own patients they are in control of how fast we go and where we go, unless there's imminent danger to them. Times article called this same thing or a similar thing, you aren't ready to relive trauma. I get it. Almost everyone I see after their first appointment, where I'm asking a lot of questions about their history, both as an individual and within their family, they will tell me that they were exhausted after that session. I often use the game of Jenga as a reference here because in therapy you want to talk about things slowly enough and carefully enough for you to remove that one piece but not have your life come crashing down around you. That's a fine balance, but one that both you and your therapist want to be aware of and in your relationships. In fact, usually a big flag goes up for me if someone starts telling me their life story as a friend without really knowing if they can trust me or not. I heard someone talking about the other day how oversharing is not the same thing as vulnerability, and it's not. And someone who jumps into a relationship and overshares may be needy, may not have a good sense of their own boundaries, because it's okay to not be ready to talk about something. You don't have to lie about it if you'll just say, I'm not ready to go there, as we said a few minutes ago. But some people struggle with setting that boundary. And so you have to control by lying. The third reason is not wanting to deal with any consequences. I recently had someone who I hadn't seen in quite a while come back into therapy, and they revealed suicidal thinking. So obviously, they came back because it scared them. They also told a family member and then told me, you know, I wish I'd kept it to myself. I feel too exposed, too pressured. This was true a little with me, but mostly with this family member. I figured this was happening because they canceled a session, which was rare. And we had talked about that sense of the cat's out of the bag. But the more we talked through the vulnerability that they felt, it was very helpful in the long run. And so often you don't want someone to know about an addiction or you don't want them to realize how intense your depression is or your anxiety. You don't want to be seen any differently. And so you'll make up a story to better fit what you want them to know about you and limit what they do not. Now, again, if you're not ready, that's one thing. But if you are hiding something actively, then that can become a problem, especially in your more intimate relationships or close relationships. I thought Dr. Koslovitz had a great point about lying. Her third reason was that it was pragmatic sometimes, meaning that the lies serve the purpose to change real-world expectations like how much you pay for therapy or to avoid an unwelcome recommendation by the therapist, like something like, you know, if this is how you feel, I think you need to be hospitalized. This is similar, if not the same, to not wanting to deal with consequences. And actually, 
talking about suicidality is one of the grand misconceptions about therapy, that if you talk about self-harm, that you'll instantly be sent to a psychiatric hospital. That's just not true. That decision is a much more complex one than that. And frankly, there wouldn't be near enough hospitals if everyone who had thoughts of self-harm were sent there. But of course, this kind of lying, which is just pragmatic, it serves a purpose, can also really be manipulative in its most severe form. If you do it occasionally, that's one thing. If you do it all the time, that's a problem. She also stated that she thought lying could be a way of getting attention, of fearing if you don't exaggerate something that you won't be taken seriously. I thought this was really interesting, probably one I would not have thought of, that you need desperately to be taken seriously. Perhaps you weren't as a child, you weren't believed or treated with care, so you came away from that childhood needing to yell, the sky's falling when it's really not. And this can become a bad habit where you exaggerate something to get attention or then as I listen to myself talk about this, I think, well, the other could be true too, that you minimize things. You don't want people to react to you or to respond to you. So you minimize because you don't want the attention. And that's actually a lie. But, you know, I have had many a patient become tearful when I don't question the validity of what they're saying and actually ask for more detail. You can see them relax. Wow, I'm being seen. The Time article also brought up that you want your therapist to like you, so you try to please them. You may even become who you perceive they want you to be, and you lie by commission or omission to do just that. When I sense this as a therapist, I try to get very quiet but supportive, not leading in any way. So I give less information to my patient. These are the patients who might ask a therapist about their own personal life, make comments about what the therapist is wearing or whether or not they look tired. This is kind of sad to witness as therapy should always be about the patient. Therapy isn't a friendship. It's a therapeutic relationship. What does this look like in real life? It can look like someone who always wants to know what you want and doesn't express much of an opinion. The lying, the invisibility, is based mostly on fear. If I show up, if I'm seen, then I won't be liked, or I'll be rejected. So they just don't show up. That's usually lying by omission, but it could be commission. And obviously, when you're in a relationship, whether it's therapeutic one or not, when you can talk about it to say, I'm really scared that if I tell you what I want, that you won't want to be around me anymore. It can be a great conversation to open up a sense of trust and vulnerability. So therapy mimics life. Some of the functions that lying serves in everyday relationships, it's also going to serve in therapy. But I do think it's interesting to realize and look back on what you may not have told the truth about maybe years ago in therapy, and now you talk about it openly because you can see your own growth. Or maybe it's not even in therapy. You look back on your life and say, oh, I would never have told somebody X, Y, Z about me. And now you talk about it freely. And that shows you how much more self-acceptance you have and how much more comfortable you are in your own skin. The listener email today is from a man who had read my blog post on enmeshment, and he's asking a lot of really good questions. Hi, I just found this link online about enmeshment and emotional uh, abuse with parents, and um, this is uh, very eye-opening to me 
40 years old and I'm realizing that a lot of uh, the root of my anxiety and depression over the years comes from um, an unhealthy relationship with my father. As we both have the same name, he basically took me under his wing um, as early as I can remember. And it was just he and I doing everything together, him expressing how he loved me more than anything in the world. Meanwhile, uh, my parents' relationship was non-existent. But, you know, I thought the sun rose and set with uh, my father. He was the cool guy, coolest guy around. You know, I thought I had life made. Um, All the while, never developing a true self. I don't even really know who I am, really. And uh, it's hurtful to know. I've, I've distanced myself from the guy recently, but I don't know how to really move on and build from here. So I'm I'm going down that path and hoping that I can find some support. Uh, any feedback that you have would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Recognizing enmeshment can be difficult because it so easily looks like you're just being loved, even adored very well. People might say to you how lucky you are to have a parent that cares so much. What is enmeshment? It's when a child is pulled into, or triangulated as it's put, the child is pulled into adult dynamics. And their relationship with one parent becomes about the parent's need or loneliness or whatever. Whole families can be called enmeshed when the boundaries between individuals are very loose. Everyone knows everyone else's business, for example. And leaving the family to make a name for yourself or to simply make more of your own decisions isn't supported. It's even scorned. This listener is talking about what is a huge problem for the now adult child. Who am I without my parent? What might I have made of myself if I wasn't meeting their needs? Do I really have what it takes to be an adult? And who am I really? What do I care about? My mom and I were highly enmeshed, and I know the kind of self-doubt it can create. My own version of handling it turned into me being attracted to men who were very controlling, as I had such insecurity about myself, and that choice was destructive. So my best advice to this young man is to seek therapy and talk about this dynamic. It's very real, and it's very complicated. The classic book on the topic is The Emotional Incest Syndrome by Pat Love. She also calls it The Chosen Child Syndrome. But it's more recently been pointed out to me that Dr. Love recommends reconciliation with that parent, in fact, makes that recommendation strongly. And I know that sometimes that's not possible. So you might look for others' opinions or other books. It sounds certainly to me as if some time away from your dad would be good, Journaling is always helpful, and also giving yourself permission to grieve. What you thought was good turned out to be suffocating. You also have to realize that your dad may not ever give you permission to get healthy yourself and establish your own identity. I had a therapist one time say to me, you'll never get permission from your mom to leave. And another said, you need to fire yourself from being your mom's therapist. That was hard to accomplish, and in an ironic way, Her own addiction and mental illness took her away from me anyway, and I definitely got the space I needed as her personal stability became very frail and she became highly withdrawn. So it is a complicated issue, one again that sometimes you don't get a lot of support for because it can look as if it's great, but really understanding what kind of effects and grieving what kind of effects it had and then establishing some boundaries between you and your father.
I want to thank all of you for being here today. I've gotten some really wonderful and and very kind reviews on self-work this week on Apple. Mom of Three Boys is so grateful to have discovered Dr. Rutherford's amazing podcast as well as her book. Thank you, Dr. Rutherford, for your guidance and insight. Another one says, listening to your podcast has gotten me out of my own head and given me great tools to combat my anxiety. You know, the fact that I really try to focus on what you can do about it, I hope that's helpful. I'm not trying to minimize certain problems and say, oh, there's always something you can do about it. But there usually is one thing or two things you could at least try to get a handle on. As one of these listeners did, my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or do your local bookstore a favor and order it from them. I worked for years on it, and I'm very proud of what it has to offer. There are over 60 exercises in the book that are actually good for almost any problem you may have, even though the book talks a lot about being highly emotionally controlled, i.e. perfectionistic, really hiding from what you don't want other people to see because you feel, again, like you would be rejected. So the book is Perfectly Hidden Depression. It's available in ebook, audiobook, or paperback. And if you have any questions about it, email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I read every email, and if I can, I will get back with you personally. Certainly, I address issues that people bring up here on the podcast without necessarily mentioning a specific email. You may remember at the beginning of this broadcast, I talk about being from Arkansas, and Arkansas is one of the states that is really struggling to get everyone vaccinated. There's a lot of what they're calling vaccination resistance. I'm not here to make a pitch for vaccination necessarily, but I am here to make a pitch for trying to help one another stay healthy. And of course, you have to wrestle with your own mind and heart about that. But please realize that your actions are impacting others. I have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash group slash self-work, and I would love to have you there. Again, thank you all for being here. Take very, very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self